bear with me this morning too. This is uh, not only do we have a cold front kind of move in, but with the cold front, guess what else comes in? Allergies, right? And every fall, it just hits me. It's been actually I'm feeling better this morning, but a couple of days here, it's been really tough. So you bear with my throat and my little bit of sniffles here uh, with these allergies that come in. But we're thankful for the uh, the cool weather that's blown in as well. Well, hey, I, I encourage you to open your Bibles to Philippians chapter 4. And we're continuing our study through this wonderful letter uh, written by Paul to the church of Philippi. We've entitled this whole series called Finding Joy in Christ Alone. And uh, the title of the message this morning is The Secret of Being Content. The Secret of Being Content. And we're going to be, Lord willing, covering verses 10 through 13 this morning. And just let me give you a fair warning. Uh, next week will be our last Sunday in Philippians. I know, now some may be cheering, some may be sad, but Lord willing, we'll actually finish up the book of Philippians next week, and just to let you know, it'll only be 19 messages, um, that's kind of short uh, compared to John and Genesis and all those that get to 90 and 100 messages, but um, it, what a great epistle this is, and uh, I want to read these verses we're going to be covering this morning, and then we'll pray and um, dive in. Beginning in verse 10 there, Philippians chapter 4. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly, that now at last you revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak from want, for I've learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means and also know how to live in prosperity. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Let's pray. Lord, as we approach uh, these four verses here in this letter to the church at Philippi from Paul, really from you through Paul, Lord, I pray that we would receive it as it's from you to us. Because it is. And Lord, I pray uh, that your word would ring true in our hearts and Lord you would again meet us where we are through your word and Lord you're going to need to do that we can't do that just intellectually and not just through Bible study methods and even taking the verse in context and comparing it to the rest of Philippians and the scripture but Lord we need the Holy Spirit to open our hearts and our minds to not only understand but to apply uh, what you have given us here so we ask you to do this in Jesus name Amen well, we live in a world and we live in a country, we would all agree, that is plagued by an attitude of discontentment. I mean, it doesn't take long. Just turn the TV on. Just look on uh, any one of the news channels, Fox or CNN, either one you, you choose to. You're going you're gonna to see a world that's full of discontentment. And if we'd be honest, it hits even closer home than just a world. It, it hits home right here, doesn't it? That we struggle with discontentment in our own hearts. If we're honest, we all do. Uh, At least I know I do. It's a personal struggle. We struggle with wanting what others have. Being where others are. Wanting more possessions. More power. More prestige. Wanting a certain position. If we only had more, right? Then we would be satisfied. That's what we think. And we struggle with that. Uh, Listen to what... Charles Spurgeon says about this. 
If you're not content with what you have, you would not be satisfied if it were doubled. Or tripled, or quadrupled, and you could go on. If you're not content with what you have, you will not be satisfied if it were doubled. And that's so true. Well, we struggle with coveting, right? We struggle with envy. Always wanting more. And envy and coveting, they don't go together with contentment. If we struggle with those things, if we are envying or we are coveting other things, then we will not be content. We can easily ignore the fact that God's providence, it's his providence that gives gifts. It's his providence that gives positions. It's his providence that gives honor to different people and maybe not you. It's his providence and it's his decision who has certain talents and who has certain abilities. It's not ours. It's his, and we, we forget that. Now listen to the words uh, of this poem I discovered this week that express our struggle with being content. Uh, the, the title of the poem is actually present tense. It says this, it was, it was spring, but it was summer I wanted. The warm days and the great outdoors. It was summer, but it was fall I wanted. The colorful leaves and the cool dry air. It was fall, but it was winter I wanted. The beautiful snow and the joy of the holiday season. It was winter, but it was spring I wanted. The warmth and the blossoming of nature. I was a child, but it was adulthood I wanted. The freedom and respect. I was 20, but it was 30 I wanted. To be mature and sophisticated. I was middle-aged, but it was 20 I wanted. The youth and the free spirit. I was retired, but it was middle-aged I wanted. The presence of mind without limitations. My life was over, and I never got what I wanted. Sadly, this is where many of us live. We never, are, we, we never get what we want. We're never getting what we want. All the while, we're missing the blessing the Father has given us now. We live for tomorrow and miss out on today because we're discontent with where we are. We're not satisfied. Now, now, many people objected to the thought of being content because they misunderstood what it means to be content. Right? Some people, you may, you may be thinking, oh, yeah, content, that's not good. You don't want to be content. We are saddled for, saddled for second best, not being excellent, not growing your relationship with Christ. Well, that's not what we're talking about. That's not what Paul is talking about at all. The contentment he speaks of is way beyond that. Yes, we're to be growing in our relationship with Christ. Yes, we're to be striving for excellence. But it's a process. And God doesn't want us always striving for excellence for tomorrow and the next week, the next day, or the next year. He wants us striving for excellence today and being content with growing our relationship with the Lord today. And guess what? If you're striving and you're following hard after Christ today, guess where you'll be in a year if you take it day by day. But we're not content with that. A person who is discontent never enjoys the journey. And God wants us to enjoy the journey that we're on. We're always looking and wishing that we were in a different place. Having different stuff. Being around different people. And all the while we're missing the difference that the Lord Jesus is making today. When I think about someone who, in the Bible who is content, I think of Joseph. 
And the Joseph I'm speaking of is not Jesus' earthly father, kind of adopted father. I'm talking about the Joseph of the Old Testament, one of Jacob's 12 sons. He was number 11. And uh, I think about him. He, he was the brother everybody loved, right? No, not Joseph. Everybody hated Joseph. All his brothers hated him because he had this, he, he, his father's favorite. He got a, a robe of many colors from his father. He had dreams that would have them bowing down to him, and he would share those dreams with them. And they just hated him. And so they hate him so much that uh, we, many of us know the story. Maybe you don't know the story. I don't want to take that for, for granted. Um, but the story is, is this, is they got so upset with him. One day, hey, let's, let's get rid of this guy. Let's kill him. And a couple of boats, no, we're not, we don't kill him. Let's just sell him into slavery. So they throw him in a pit. They wait for somebody to come by, and they sell him to them. And then that person takes them, him to Egypt, and he's sold into slavery into Potiphar's house and potiphar was kind of like second command in egypt at the time and potiphar sees excellence in him. in fact he says saw that the lord was with him it says and that he gives him charge over his whole household to take care of all of this stuff because there's such excellence in joseph and yet then he gets falsely accused by potiphar's wife because she thought he was hot and she think and he didn't think she was or he just wanted to honor god is what he wanted to do and so he got thrown into prison and while in prison, what does it say? The Lord blessed him. And what did he do? He just served those around him. He so much that Jairus said, hey, this guy's excellent. The Lord's with this guy. Look at the way that, that, that he handles things. I'm going to give him charge over the jail. And he's there in jail. And some guys come through and they have these dreams. And he interprets the dreams. And guess what? Those dreams come true. But they forget about Joseph. But Joseph just keeps serving. And what I want you to get, get about Joseph, he bloomed where he's planted. He wasn't always looking down the road. The scripture never does, and I think it does purposely. It never says that he was discontented. It never says, man, this is so awful. They forgot about me in prison. My brothers hate me. This is so awful. I got falsely accused. You don't see that with Joseph. He wherever he is. Okay, this is where I'm supposed to be. And I'm just going to bloom where I'm planted. And ultimately, God raises him up to second in Egypt, and he saves his nation, the nation of Israel, from famine that would have crushed the whole nation of Israel. And if you remember, if it would have crushed the whole nation of Israel, we would not have a Messiah today. Because the Messiah came from the nation of Israel. He was descendant of the Jews. God used him in a great way. But you look at Joseph's life, he was content with where he was. He just bloomed where he was planted. I love that about Joseph. And, and, and I love what Alistair Begg says about uh, being content, or it's a state of being contentment. Contentment is a result of bowing my heart and mind to the will of God no matter the conditions I face. I think that's Joseph. He was content. Why? Because he bowed his will and his heart and his mind to the will of God no matter the conditions that were around him. Or are you content this morning? Are you content? Do you wish you were at some other church this morning? Maybe so. Especially as you see this topic, and you may know you struggle with this. But are you content? Do you bow your heart and mind to the will of God no matter the conditions you face? We all need to be challenged and encouraged in this area of contentment. And the Lord, through Paul, is going to do just that here in our passage this morning. So he'll do that as we examine these verses 10 through 13 of chapter 4 of Philippians. And as we examine these, these verses, we're going to be challenged by three truths concerning contentment. Trusting the Lord will use these truths to make us more content for his glory. And I promise you, if we become more content, it will stick out in our world. Just think about this. In your workplace, how much less talking 
would be done if people weren't complaining. They, they may not have any conversation at all in some workplaces, right? They're always complaining. Well, and it, there's not contentment. It's just continual. I mean, just think, it'd be a real quiet world, wouldn't it? We have to find out some, something else to talk about. We have to find out, we have to find, we would have to talk about the things we're called to think about in verses 8. Whatever is noble, what is right, whatever is true, we talked about last time. Just think about that. It's a struggle. Well, let's begin here by doing what we must do every time we study God's word. We must get the context right. We've got we to understand the setting in which Paul writes these words. Now, who he's writing to, why he's writing. So let's just be reminded. Remind, remind, just remember you that Paul is, uh, um, when he's writing these, he's, he's, he's in the penthouse living it up, right? No, he's in the outhouse. I mean, he's in prison. All right? I mean, house arrest, but he's still in prison. He can't come and go freely. He has a guard chained to him. Um, a guard from the Praetorian Guard, as he, he calls it earlier in chapter 1. Um, so he's in, in prison when he writes this. He had planted a church in, in Philippi in Acts 16. He had visited them two more times in Acts, 18, I mean, in Acts 19 and 20. And then, he, then they sent one of their own. Remember him, Epaphroditus? He'll be mentioned one more time in, in this passage. We send Epaphroditus to him with a gift from the church of Philippi. And he comes to Rome and uh, Epaphroditus brings that gift. I'm, they, I'm sure they have conversations as we've talked about. And then Paul sends Epaphroditus back to the church of Philippi with this letter that has instruction, it has encouragement uh, to the people, deals with some specific issues that Epaphroditus brought up to Paul. And then part of it is a thank you letter. Just saying thank you for sending the gift. Thank you for your heart. So that's the context we see that this is where Paul writes these words. And, and, and that's what he's doing here near this end, the end part of the letter here. And the beginning of this thank you begins right here in, in verse 10. So look there with me in verse 10 of chapter 4. It says, But I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at last you have revived your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. He's just thanking the church of Philippi for the gift that they sent to Epaphroditus. He rejoices in the Lord that he's using these Philippians to minister to him. That's what he says. He says, I rejoiced in the Lord greatly. He rejoices in the Lord. That's important. He's not rejoicing in them. He's re- yeah, he is rejoicing in what they're doing, but he's rejoicing in the Lord because he knows it's the Lord that has changed this whole region because the gospel has come. Remember, if we remember back at the beginning of, of Philippians, the first, the first mention of the gospel, first bringing of the gospel to Europe happened in Philippi in Acts 16 when Paul brought the gospel to Europe for the very first time ever. And it's been changed, changed your hearts. And he's rejoicing in what the Lord's doing. And now they're expressing what the Lord's doing by ministering to Paul. Now notice this um, phrase, you have revived or revived your concern for me. Uh, one translation says flourished. Another translation says renewed. And it's actually this picture of blooming afresh. It's like a flower. It's blooming afresh. So he basically says, and now at last your, 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 your concern has bloomed afresh for me. What a beautiful picture. And he's meaning them to, to, to hear this in a beautiful way. And, and you notice, he says, it says, you were concerned before, but you lacked opportunity. Paul's not saying, well, it's about time you got your heart right and helped me out. He, he said, you were concerned before. You've always been concerned. This has been in your heart, I know that. But somehow, we don't know why. 
We don't know because of the miles. We don't know maybe the political climate. They weren't able to help like they wanted to. But he knew their heart. And he says, but now you've got an opportunity. And and you took the opportunity. Just a little side note. When you got the opportunity, take the opportunity. Right? But your heart's got to be right, and their heart was right, to take the opportunity when it came to them. And he's just thanking them for taking the opportunity. Uh, Their care and concern was just part of who they were for Paul. And Paul is expressing his gratitude to them for their expression of concern and care for him. He's thrilled, listen to this, he's thrilled more with their heart to give than he is the gift. But where do I get that? Am I, I don't, am I sitting in there in a cell with him? No, I'm not that old. All right? And no one in here is that old. How do I know that? Well, the next phrase, the beginning of verse 11, tells us. Look at what it says. Not that I speak from want. So thanks for, you know, taking the opportunity and and, and sending me this gift but not that i speak from want i'm not in want right now he was having his basic needs met just because he was in jail and they were giving him food and water probably i don't know his bread and water whatever it was but he was i'm not in a in a situation right now where i'm in great need so i'm not so much just thankful for the gift but i'm just thankful for your heart just thanks for your heart to give now notice what Paul says in the rest of verse, verses 11 and all the way down to, through 12. It says, Not that I speak from want, for I have learned to be content in whatever circumstances I am. I know how to get along with humble means, and I also know how to live in po- prosperity. In, every, in, in, in any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both having abundance and suffering need. It's in these verses here that we find the first uh, we find the first two truths, there's three truths we want to look at, but the first two truths are in these two verses. And the first truth Paul points to concerning contentment is contentment is learned. Contentment is learned. Boy, we hate to hear that. Um, look what he says in verse 11. It says, for I have learned to be content. And then down in verse 12, in the middle of it, it says, I have learned the secret. Now, some of your translation says of being content. That's understood. It's actually not there, but it's understood in the context. I've learned the secret of, and then he talks about contentment a little more, but some of your translations actually add that, and it's okay. We're not changing what the Word of God means or anything like that. So he says twice, I've learned to, see, I've le- I've learned to be content. I've learned the secret of being content. Uh, he, he had learned to trust in the providence of God. And, and the key thing I want us to see here is, I'll say it maybe three or four more times so we don't miss it, contentment is learned. It's learned. It's not something we're born with. We're not born with contentment. And in fact, it doesn't take very long. I've got six of them. Melissa's had seven of them, right? All of us have had them. They're little kids running around. It doesn't take very long for they, we see the expression of discontentment coming out of their heart like this. Just go to the store, right? Just pull up to the drive-through, all right? Just go to Chick-fil-A. Uh, that really shows the discontent of all of our hearts when you go to Chick-fil-A. But you, you, it just comes out of all of us when we, when we're young that we're discontent. I want this. I want that. If I just had this, I don't want that. I want that. I mean, it just comes out. And nobody teaches them to be discontent. We have to learn how to be content. And it doesn't come like that. Oh, got it now. Somebody told me to be content. I'm content. I wish that, no, out of my mouth. The next thing in my mouth, I'm not content, right? I'm wanting something else. I don't want, I don't want to be content. I want to be something else. I want to be patient. I want to be kind. 
We're not content with being content. The fact is, we don't get contentment like that. We grow. It's a process. And that's why Paul says he's learned it. Now, how do you think Paul learned contentment? How do you think he learned contentment? Now, you may not want to sign up for this school uh, when you find out where he learned to conduct. Part of it you might want to. In fact, the first part, you might want to sign up for this. So remember back in Acts 16, and if you want to turn there, you can, but I've got these, these two verses. So Paul comes to Philippi, and he's looking for a place to, to reach out to some people, and he actually goes to a, a place, a river, and there's a bunch of ladies there um, uh, gathered, and they're, they're worshiping the Lord. And look what it says in verse 14 of Acts 16. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. I never want to read that and not just say, wow. The Lord opened her heart. And I never want to read that and not remind all of us it's the Lord that opened her heart. It doesn't say, man, she was just so brilliant she figured it out. The Lord opened her heart. Wow. And this is look what happened. And when she and her household had been baptized, she urged us, speaking of Paul and his party that was with him, saying, if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Her hospitality was so great. Paul said, yeah, great, let's go. We'll stay with, her, with Lydia and her family while we're there. Now, Lydia was a woman of means. She was a seller of purple fabrics. She had some stuff. She also had a house. And it had a house big enough, I guess, where she could say, hey, Paul, you and your companions come and stay with my family. So she was a woman of means. She was, she was just pretty well off after she became a Christian. So she invites them to come and stay in her house. And I'm sure their needs were more than amply supplied. Lydia had a nice house, I bet. Paul learned to be content through being blessed with an abundance of food. He learned to be content with clean towels, maybe purple ones at Lydia's house. Nice sheets. Like, I don't know, they're, they're graded by threads, right? What's a nice thread? 4,000 thread or something like that. It'd probably be really nice. I mean, he learned to be content. Listen to this. He learned to be content with a bunch of nice stuff around. And maybe even more than his needs being supplied. It was nice. And, and he learned to be content through that. But that's not the only way he learned to be content. Now, here's where you might not want to sign up for this course. All right, just a nice summary of this. This is found in 2 Corinthians 11, 22 through 30. Let me read this for us. And he's talking about people who are detractors of them, that they're saying that Paul's no good. He just wants, he's in it for the money. Um, he's talking to the church of Corinth, and these people who are trying to downgrade Paul to the church of Corinth, look what he says. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they descendants of Abraham? So am I. We're okay right there. Are they servants of Christ? I speak as if insane. I'm more so in far more labors, in far more imprisonments, beaten times without number. Just to let you know, he also spent a little time in prison in, in Philippi, right after he was in Lydia's house. Okay? Often in danger of death, five times I received from the Jews 39 lashes. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned, three times I was shipwrecked at night, and a day I spent in the deep. I've been on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from countrymen, dangers from Gentiles, a lot of dangers. Dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers on the sea, dangers among false brethren. I've been in labor and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure. Apart from such external things, there's a daily pressure on me of concern for all the churches. 
And, and that's a lot. All the churches. I mean, there's a daily pressure of me and the other elders and leaders in this church just of this one. He's got churches, plural. Who is without? Who is weak without being? Who without being weak? My my being weak. I mean, he's he, he's laboring that they're weak. He's weak. He's feeling for them. Who is led into sin without my intense concern? If I have to boast, I will boast of what pertains to my weakness. Paul learned to be content through hardships and going without as well. Paul learned to be content in both areas, in pain and in plenty. Paul learned to be content. He learned, he had learned to be satisfied with where God had him. That's what he's trying to say here. I've learned to be satisfied where God has me now. It was a process. And if we're going to be content, it will be learned. It will be a process of growing. It won't come like that. And it will be a process of growing through plenty and through pain. Learning to be content. Contentment is learned. Now look at verses 11 through 12 again. For I've learned to be content with whatever circumstances I am. I want us to read these again so we, 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 we hear what Paul's saying. I know how to get along with humble means. I also know how to live in prosperity. And in, every, in, in any and every circumstance, I've learned the secret of being filled and going hungry, both of having abundance and suffering need. Now notice how Paul expounds in the different circumstances in which he found himself. He says, humble means... Okay, and if you're going to make two columns, which I did this, this week studying, I, okay, here's, let's, there's some similarities, I'll make two columns, okay? There's one column that says, humble means going hungry, suffering need. He learned to be content in all those areas. But there's another column that says, prosperity, filled, and abundance. He's saying in both areas, he had learned to be content. He sums it up in the middle uh, of the verse with the phrase, in any in every circumstance, just in think, can't you think you can think of another circumstance, I'm going to say any and every. All those, every circumstance in my life, I've learned to be content. And it's here we see the second truth concerning contentment. Contentment, contentment is independent from circumstances. Contentment is independent from circumstances. Paul says his circumstances did not dictate whether or not he was content. Humble means content. Prosperity, content. Going hungry, content. Filled, content. Suffering need, content. Abundance, content. Paul's contentment, being satisfied with where God had him, was not based on his circumstances. They taught him, but it didn't change with good circumstances and bad circumstances. And then you have to define what's good and bad, right? If we believe that God causes all things to work together for good, maybe they're all good in some ways. I understand there's more difficult circumstances than others. I'm not saying that. If we're going to be content... It will, be, it will also, if we're going to be content, we'll have to be independent from our circumstances. They cannot dictate whether we're content or not. Contentment is being satisfied with what God has us regardless of what circumstances might be in our life. So how would Paul get to this place of being able to say that he was content, independent from his circumstances? How, how would he get to that place? And how can we get to the place of being able to say that we are truly content, independent from our circumstances? Would anybody just be able to say, yeah, I'm, I'm there already? That you're completely content, independent from circumstances. That your circumstances never, ever affect your contentment level. No, we wouldn't, none of us would say that. They affect us. So how does Paul get to this place to say that he's, he's learned to be content and, 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 and independent from his circumstances? 
Well, Paul says he's learned a secret. And what I love about Paul is he never keeps secrets. So you may not want to Paul, tell Paul anything. He's just going to probably pass it on, but he, but maybe not to. But this secret, he didn't want to keep to himself. He wanted to tell everybody this secret. So what is the t- secret? Paul tells us. Look at verse 13. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Here's a third truth concerning contentment in this passage. Contentment is dependent on Christ. It's independent from circumstances. It's dependent on Christ. He could be content in any circumstances because he was, his worth and his power were found in Christ alone. Finding joy in Christ alone. That's where Paul found his joy, his, his identity, his power, his worth in Christ alone. Now notice the words there. I can do all things. Some translations say everything. All right, through, Christ, through him who gives me strength. Uh, whether in humble means or in prosperity. That's what he's talking about. The all things, the everything. He's the context, context. The all things. Humble means prosperity, filled, going hungry, having abundance of suffering need. That's the all things he's talking about in any every circumstance. All I can do all those things. I can be content in all those circumstances through Christ who gives me strength, through him who strengthens me. And just some of your translations say Christ. It's actually, again, one of these things. Christ is not actually there. It's it's added for context, and there's nothing wrong with adding it. The hymn is speaking of Christ, obviously, in context. So don't get, all, I keep saying hymn or Christ. Don't get all upset about that. It's, it's, it's there because of the context. But it, it's in Christ. He depended on Christ's strength to trust God's will. Remember, contentment is, is, is being content or being satisfied with God's will where you are regardless of circumstances. So it was Christ who gave him the power to be able to be content in any of those circumstances. He could be satisfied when he had little or when he was in a difficult place because of the power of Christ in him. He could be satisfied when he had plenty or in a good place, either circumstance, because of the power of Christ in him. Now I realize that this is one of the most popular verses and it is probably the most popular verse in all Philippians. And it's one of the most popular verses in our country at least today. Would you all believe it? I mean, well, what's Philippians 4.13 say? I can do all things through him who strengthens me. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. How many times have you heard that? You see it plastered over that. You see it everywhere. You see people say it all. You hear people say it all the time. It's a great verse. But I'll just let you know, this will be, when I ever get a chance to write my book, this will be in the top ten list of take, most taken out of context verses in all of Scripture. And it's probably the most taken out now because... Besides, and God will heal our land, right, from uh, um, Chronicles. There's no promise, just to let you all know, that if we humble ourselves and pray that God will heal the United States of America land. That was to the nation of Israel. Now, there's principles there that we can take, that God does hear our prayer. He wants us to repent, and God will bring healing, but there's no healing of the land promise to the United States of America, just in case you're claiming that. Don't claim it anymore. All right, I don't have time to go in that context, but it's not to us. But this is one of the other big, huge ones. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So what's that look like? What does it look like in, in modern way that we use it? Um, it, it usually uh, is concerning having the power to accomplish a certain task. Okay? I, I read this. This was, oh, man, be, be careful because this could be our daily bread. It's inerrant. You can't talk about our daily bread in a negative way. It's pretty good. I like our daily bread. But they got it wrong. 
So here's the illustration. Somebody who's in the national championship of a particular division of um, college basketball, and I, can say, I won't say who because I actually know the person that said this, and it was in the papers nationally, and I know the person. They would probably take it back now. But they were at the free throw line. They're down, okay? They're down by one and get fouled. Time is off the clock, and they're at the free throw line. And if they hit both free throws, they win the national championship. So they get to the line, dribble it. I don't know exactly what they did. And they shoot, swish, it's tied up. They're at least going to overtime, right? Get the ball again. Nobody's, nobody's on the lane. Nothing. I mean, they're all out, all the crowd's looking. Whew, made it. They win the national championship. And they ask this person, how was it you were able to make, that, make those shots? I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No! That's not what it means. That's not what that means. That's not what the verse means. I have the power in my hand and my arm to do all things through Christ who strengthens me and make the free throws and win the national championship. Or, or maybe it has something to do with getting a promotion at work. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And I'm going to get that pr- promotion because I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, it's not what it means. That's not what it means at all. Or, or how about this? I, I'm going to... I'm going to make a goal to run a marathon. I'm not making that goal. <laughs> but you might, okay? I can do all things in my training through Christ who strengthens me. And I'm going to do it every day and I'm going to eat right. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. No, that's not what it means. Now, no, no doubt, ultimately, God in Christ gives us the strength to do certain things. For in Him we move and live and have our being, right? That is, that, that is true, but that's not what this verse means. Let me give you a better illustration of what that means. I'm at the free throw line. We're down by two. And I shoot and I miss. Now I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. What I'm going to do now when I just blew it for our team. Am I going to be content with God, where God has me right then? Or if I make it. If I make it. Can I do all things through Christ who strengthens me and be humble in victory? It's about contentment. The whole context is about being content. Whether we have plenty or not. Not the power to do a task. It's the power to be content. That's what it means. He's not saying we can do anything. He can do anything he sets his mind to. That's not what he's saying. Philippians 4.13 says, By Christ's strength I can be calm in adversity and humble in prosperity. Let me say it again. Philippians 4.13 says, By Christ's strength I can be calm in adversity and humble in prosperity. Christ gives the power to bow our hearts and minds to the will of God no matter our circumstances. Whether we make or miss the free throw. Whether we lose or win the game. Whether we get the promotion or we don't get the promotion. Whether we meet the weight loss goal or we don't meet the weight loss goal. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. I can be content trusting in God's will because Christ will give me the strength to do so. Man, I just killed everybody's bumper sticker. I had a, when I figured this out, I had to quit signing Philippians 4.13 in my autograph when I was with the Atlanta Falcons too. I'm going to change it. Um, so it's not worth anything with that. I'm kidding. It's not worth anything anyway. But... Uh, 
There's an old guy named Jeremiah Burroughs who wrote a book entitled, and if you could find this book, let me know, uh, The Rare Jewel of Christian Contentment. I don't have the book. I just have seen some quotes out of it. I I love what he says here. He really sums it up well. A A Christian finds satisfaction in every circumstance by getting strength from another, by going outside of himself to Jesus Christ, by his faith acting upon Christ and bringing the strength of Jesus Christ into his soul, and he thereby is thereby enabled to bear whatever God lays on him by the strength he finds from Jesus Christ. That's good. Jeremiah Burroughs. Well, again, this is one of those Mark Twain deals, right? It's not the things in the Scripture I don't understand that give me problems. It's the things in the Scripture I do understand that give me problems. And I understand this. I'm called to be content, and I'm called to be content, and the secret of being content is trusting in Christ. Paul says this, that, 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 that contentment is learned, contentment is independent from circumstances, contentment is based on Christ, it's found in Christ, and I just let you know I have a hard time doing that. I struggle looking ahead and thinking, I wish I would have had, had this, I wish I had this, I wish I could do this, I wish I could be this. And I need to call on Christ. Christ, give me the strength to, to see that what you call me to do is to bloom where I'm planted like Joseph, to be content where you have me, be satisfied in the will of God, regardless of my circumstances. And only Christ in me can do that. Because I don't even want to do that. I may not have anything to say at work. I may have anything to talk about, right? Because I can't have anything to complain about and be discontent about. No, but with Christ's strength, I can and you can. So where do you find yourself this morning? What are your circumstances? And they're all different. Maybe you're on the the, the humble means part of right now. And you're really wishing I got the prosperity part. Well, remember what Spurgeon said earlier. If if you're not satisfied with what you have now, you won't be satisfied with double of it. You don't want double humble means. I can promise you that. And you really don't want prosperity if you can't be humble on the other way. And you don't want to be... You don't want... You can't be content on the other side. You also don't want humble means if you're prospering. Well, whatever your circumstances, if it's just a difficult time, a difficult person, you're dealing with sickness, you're dealing with health, whatever it is, good and bad, what are your circumstances? Are you content where you are? Have you bowed your heart and mind to the will of God no matter the conditions you face? You can. We can be content. That's the good news. That's the great news about the gospel. Is it through the gospel, through the power of Jesus living in us, we can be content. And I'm telling you, like I said before, if we get this, what a difference it's going to make in our world. In the little world God's called us to, the little world God's called us to where we are. If we can be content and be satisfied in God through Christ in our circumstances. Now let me ask you this question. If we're going to be satisfied, if we're going to be content... In Christ? Are you in Christ? See, a lot of people like to be in the in crowd. And most of those things you really don't want to be in. But you want to be in Christ. Because the scripture, scripture clearly teaches. Because if you are not in Christ, you're in trouble. More trouble than you could ever possibly think of. Because God says this. I created you to bring me glory perfectly. That's what God says. That's who, and he's holy. He deserves that. That's who God is. That's what he demands. And the scripture says that we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We don't bring him glory. We bring ourselves glory. And that the wages of sin, not bringing him glory, and all that comes with that, is death, eternal separation from God forever in a place called hell. 
Where they'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth and, and, and the fire will never die. It's a real place. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love for us, by which he loved us, sent his son Jesus to die in our place. He made him who had no sin right to become a sin on our behalf. He put Jesus on the cross. Who killed, God? Who, who killed Jesus? God killed Jesus. And we can answer, yes, the Jews did, we did, our sin did, but God ultimately killed him. He sacrificed his son to pay the penalty of hell, in a sense, and sin, the penalty of sin on him, to pay it on our behalf. And he promises that we trust him, if we allow him to substitute himself for us, say, okay, I'm taking what you did for me. You paid the payment I couldn't pay. I accept that. I trust in what you did for me. He'll make us a son or daughter, and he'll forgive us. And he'll indwell us. Then we'll be in Christ, and Christ will be in us. What great news. And then we're promised heaven. Then we're made a new creation. Then we're forgiven. We're holy. We're blameless. We're called saints. We're the righteousness of God in him. We're part of the family of God. All because we're in Christ. And if you're not in Christ this morning, my prayer is that you would turn from trusting in yourself, Turn from glorifying yourself, whether you think you are or not, and turn and glorify God by trusting in what Christ has done for you. That's my prayer. And those who have already done that, and you have Christ in you, and you are in Christ, grab hold of him with all that you have. And learn the secret of being content. And that's just keep holding on to him. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for this, this passage of scripture in some ways very simple, yet profound. Lord, I pray, Lord, you would help us by your grace to do that, to, to cling hard to the Lord Jesus Christ, to do all things through Christ who strengthens us, to be content in any circumstance in our life. And may that be used, Lord, to bring you glory. So people look and they say, wow, the way that they're living, the way that they're content can only be explained by God. And I want to know this Jesus as they know. Lord, thank you again for our time and your word this morning. Now help us as we lift our hearts and our voices to you to give you the praise that you deserve. In Jesus' name, amen.